what this film's certainly sort of got is all the like, sort of film geeks and that really like it. Do you know what I mean? It's a, mm. it's a different sort because of, it's more. You see, the problem is, is people have to think when they're watching it. Yeah. And you, you, you know, you got to follow the stories and you got to sort of just go with it and everything. And people, people, uh, people struggle to do that. You, you know saying do you, do you think they're not used to that with our sort of films? Yeah, I think they, you know, they're used to you narrating it and fucking yeah. telling the story yeah. and, and that. You know what I mean? Drunk as a cunt on about twelve yeah. pints and still get it. Yeah, the handheld and the sort of different shutter speeds on a camera and mm. that. People mm. get fucking. They get well, it's unsettling, isn't it? It's fucking. It's, and especially if you've had ten pints. Obviously, you know some of you saying some geezers saying like fucking. I don't know. You, you, you go after you've had your popcorn. Use your popcorn bag as a sick bag or something because you're going to throw up because the camera works so shaky. I mean, I'd say get your fucking eyes tested, mate. Opposing the government and opposing the conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that. Is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, Chris? Well, we know who the hard left are. In the you know ascendancy I, I, within the within the Labour Party, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing. The hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, hard left wing position, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, I think that was an intro. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> fucking welcome to real politics, mate. Fucking insightful leftist views. Fucking nothing problematic at all whatsoever. Bang up, fucking, Yeah, you better believe it, you fucking cunt. Fucking cunt! Just a warning, there may be a lot of fucking use of the word cunt. Cunt! It will be cunt and not the other one, because... It's you know, be probably not quite as much language. as in the actual film. Yeah, wow. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. So you're probably listening, and well, you know, because we've been talking about it on our Twitter feed, but today, okay, I've already got rid of the Cockney accent. That didn't last long. I forgot. I forgot. We oh. are not actors. We... <laughs> Don't so, tell them. Uh... When our Baron play comes out, they'll all be fucking. We're not professionals like Mr. Danny Dyer. You know? <laughs> He's a serious fucking actor. He's done Harold Pinter and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He has. This is the lexicon of Nick Love. He's, he's extended our vocabulary. But yeah, welcome to the Real Politic Podcast. Three of us are in today. We've got Jack Frayne Reed. Yeah. And Yaya Rice. Hey, everyone. Welcome back, Yaya. And of course, I'm Tom. And uh, today we're talking about a seminal film that was released almost, or in fact, about just about 10 years ago now. It was a social comment on. Blair's Britain, probably one of the you most. You might even say it's an example of social realism at its, <laughs> at its finest. Oh, right. If you want to see Sean Harris as a security guard just being the most fash fucker ever, this is the film for you. With all the England, but they're, flags but they're, but they're, and but they're good guys, right? They're good. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
we'll get into his character. But yeah, basically, yeah, Outlaw. We're talking about Outlaw today, a film from 2007. It is as the director Nick Love told GMTV in 2007, a film with a real social and political conscience. Oh, it, 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 <laughs> it, it sure does. Well, his vision of Britain in 2007 is basically paedophiles running the running through the streets hoodlums breaking into barristers' homes and murdering their pregnant wives. You know, the maddest thing is they thought it was about a fucking country that doesn't exist. They're saying that, well, you know, the, the, the press was saying, oh, how can you fucking say that about this film? You know, how, how can you say we live in a lawless country and there's nonsense running around, there's people running around stabbing each other? And say, what fucking papers are you reading, you dozy cunts? Teenagers setting fire to 79-year-old women. <laughs> And the cops <laughs> yeah. seeing this and simply saying, ah, too much oh, paperwork. God. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That was... Bureaucracy running I wild. Mean, uh... <laughs> my, my take is that it's basically EastEnders crossed with Mad Max. Yeah. It's just total anarchy, just <laughs> lawlessness. It's the old Wild West, you know? <laughs> well, poo, to, poo, poo. to quote Nick Love Frontier, directly from the commentary, it's a lawless country, and there's nonces running about, and there's people running around stabbing each other. <laughs> well, he certainly delivered on those promises, because there is a lot of yeah. those things in the film. But where can we start? I guess we talk a little bit about Nick Love. Uh, sure. So, is Nick Love even his real name? Does he have, like, is that his, like, his sort of kind of what stage name? name? He's actually called Nick Hate. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what he thinks his girlfriend's calling that. He's one of those guys who's got love tattooed on one hand and hate tattooed on the <laughs> yeah, other. I was so, I was say, Obviously, hate is on Nick. the hand that he fucking gives people a good Nick fucking, right fucking love. Nick love, mate. Yes. What films have you seen? Have any of you seen any other films by Nick Love apart from Outlook? I've literally not Were seen you a saying... single other film by Nick Love. What has he directed? Well, his first film came out in 2001, which was a film called Goodbye Charlie bright and it's uh I, I haven't seen it but i've looked up some of the reviews for it and stuff and it wasn't exactly panned or anything it was it, it didn't receive like rave reviews either mm. it was sort of kind yeah. of like kind of coming of age drama set on the council estate uh, i've seen it, people it, compare it to shane meadows yeah i guess yeah i probably i think that's probably the most I, apt i guess of... kind of like a room for romeo brass rather than his later more kind of elaborate film yeah definitely yeah and it was his first collaboration with danny dyer and it also features Whoa. Phil Daniels. <laughs> Phil, Phil Daniels. <laughs> um, Part life. Yeah, I'm looking at his uh, filmography and I, I recognise a few names, but I've definitely not seen any of them. They're for a very particular kind of audience. The uh, Sweeney, the Firm, <laughs> the Business, <laughs> the Ball Factory. The Firm is a remake of a TV film from 1989, which actually features Gary Oldman and is directed by uh, Alan Clark. Yeah, um, and Nick Love frequently cites Alan Clark as his biggest influence. He says actually that his influences start with like Ken Loach, with Alan yeah, I know, Ken Loach, with Alan <laughs> Clark, and he said with Anderson, I guess he meant Lindsay Anderson maybe, not not Wes Anderson. Oh, <laughs> <Perhaps>. <laughs> it's like, Unless he meant W.S. Anderson? Paul W.S. Anderson. <laughs> The one that's directed all the uh, Resident Evil films. And Nobody's stuff. influenced by Paul W.S. Anderson. Oh, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> he directed a British film back in 1994 called Shopping that was a film about Ram Raiders with Jude Law and Sadie Frost and stuff. And that was. You never of, heard of it. 
the yeah, absolute it, boy. It, it's supposed to be utterly terrible. It's obviously kind of inspired by a lot of Tarantino. It's got a, a huge Tarantino influence. I get that vibe from it and it sort mm. of came out at the time when you'd expect that to be the case it's about british teenagers who get involved with like joyriding and ram raid shops and stuff so i haven't seen it but i, I don't really intend to based on the uh <laughs> nick Lush i is... suppose one of my main interpretations is that i think i posted this on twitter about him being basically just a pound shop guy richie and yeah. further from there i'd say drawing a very indirect and terribly transferred vision of quentin tarantino <laughs> well it's got all that violence and just like uncomfortable at times but instead of playing it tongue-in-cheek almost self-parody it's all very very deadly serious at in least this film outlaw. at least in outlaw yeah, yeah, yeah i don't yeah. i don't think in his films that are more catered towards the sort of lad audience the sort of the ones yeah. that are better after about 12 pints in his own words <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but regarding what you were saying with the tarantino <laughs> comparison although he claims to have been kind of brought up on ken loach and alan clark and these great social realist he wouldn't, filmmakers he wouldn't sing that when he watches fucking Films, no, but, but, but when yes. when he went to film school, <laughs> he says that that was when he got into Michael Mann and Scorsese, and I reckon probably right. Tarantino as well, and those kind of filmmakers that are, you know, more American in their sensibility, yeah. a bit more kind of some mature. like gangster films, and yeah. stuff like that. The most flattering thing that anyone in the press has ever called me was a hybrid with Alan Clark and Scorsese, a young Scorsese. Well, that's not bad, is it? But not in the sense that my films were as good as theirs, but more in the sense that when you watch one of my films, you can sense there's social realism. To me, it's essentially about making films about a world that is familiar to us rather than aliens and monsters. Not just being a filmmaker, but being a film fanatic. Your influences are always changing. You know, my first influences were Clark, Loach, Anderson. They were all of a really good tradition. And then I left that behind. I got. To, I, I think when I went to film school in the mid '90s, I got into Michael Mann and got into Scorsese in a big way, and looked for much more stylish filmmakers. And you can sort of see that, particularly from the way he shoots the end kind of like gun sequence from uh, Outlaw and stuff. Although it's not exactly shot very well. And it's, <laughs> well, well, we'll get into the quote-unquote camera techniques that are featured within Outlaw. Oh, Tom, you bit. need to get your fucking eyes tested, mate. Shaking. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, before we carry on, we just wanted to point out that we're going to be referencing the audio commentary track that's actually featured on the DVD <laughs> for Outlaw. And I just want to say it is the greatest audio commentary track you will ever hear. If you oh, want yeah. to watch Outlaw, we wouldn't recommend it, but if you have to watch it, watch it with the audio commentary because it's basically got Nick Love and Danny Dyer and they're basically just using it to respond to all the people that diss their film and it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Boy, it's right up there with Taxi Driver. You know, they, they all spit it <laughs> when it came out. Taxi Driver got canted when it came out. It actually it didn't. It was either one who was nominated for the Palme d'Or at Cannes and received really positive critical notices. Exactly. And, and he also... He are you saying Outlaw wasn't? <laughs> <laughs> when Taxi Driver, I mean, I've, I've, I've got reviews on, you can go online and get reviews of Taxi Driver when it come out. 1976 Taxi Driver come out, got cunted. People yeah. didn't get it, they were like, what's that, oh, it's, a, it's, it's racist, it's all yeah. that, he's a, he's a sort of, you know, oh, I didn't get it. 
When I can imagine Nick Love writing dialogue, it's just him on his computer just bashing the keys away, just being like, kind of, oh, fucking cunt, fucking cunt. It just will just come out of my actors so well, just fucking just typing away, not giving a single thought to it, going back and maybe adjusting a line or two. It's just, as no, it, that's as perfect you it, the moment it comes out. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you mentioned um, mm. Taxi Driver. He also got brings up scum as well. Yeah, he's like, scum. he goes like, basically, this film got a fucking hostile reception, but you know, it's just like fucking, you know, in 10 years time this film will be looked back on as a fucking comment on the Blair era well you know, here we are <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I'll, I'll tell you something else I know this will be the most important film we've made yeah in yeah. years to come when they're doing retrospectives on your life yep. Yep. they'll be saying Outlaw was your best you know Outlaw yeah. was the most yeah. important film because it was a film yeah. about a culture it was a film about a generation it was, mm. it was, a, it was a post where well, it was the end of Blair it was, a, yeah. it was a comment on society and mm. stuff do you know what I mean fuck them cunts that's the question we have to ask did it live up to that goal did he name the dream what is it saying about Blair era what comment does Nick Love's Outlaw make on the decline of new labour but know. so you go to a screen and you get some people saying what a lot of fucking shit that was then other people turn around and go that's the most important film we're going to see in the next five years and they say thank yeah. god someone's made a fucking film about where we're at as a country but it's just about a fucking country yeah. that is slowly in decline yeah. and thank god you've made a film about it well I think you know what Dan and the bottom line is it'll be it'll be the film that we remember for the most and yeah. I think we should be really proud of that well I fucking am baby the law, it's all the about fucking doing... yob culture yeah, yeah. <laughs> the law isn't doing anything paedophiles are running through the streets <laughs> Um, just that's the legacy of Blair, according to Nick Love. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking good. A quick note on the commentary, which is that most people are just familiar with the five minute highlight reel of the commentary that's on YouTube, <laughs> which we'll clip a bit of for this episode. And I highly recommend you all listen to in its entirety. But yeah, yeah. Have either of you seen the film with the full commentary? No, I have not. Uh, Oh, but see, neither have I. No, I wish <laughs> I wish if I'd have thought about it in advance, I should have bought the DVD of this film so I could do that. Because I feel like there might be stuff in there that is just as funny as as that five minutes I mean, that everyone's heard. We could always edit this bit out and pretend that we watched it. <laughs> yeah, sure, we could do. Just make some stuff up, you know. Or just... Well, there's the bit where Danny Dyer predicts the rise of ISIS and says it would be a really good thing. He's like, you know, them slags <laughs> in Syria, you know that Assad? What we need is a new military force to take him on. <laughs> <laughs> I, my my favourite comment from Danny Dyer in the audio commentary is when he's talking about the critics and he goes, I've never seen no fucking stars before. <laughs> Referring to, like, obviously a review he read of the film where it got zero stars. So listen, the bottom of the film got a fucking hostile reception when it came out. A lot of people, a lot of press didn't like it. Now they thought it was fucking too violent. They thought it was glorifying violence. No stars. I've never, I've never seen no stars before. A fucking broadsheet cunt. Nice. <laughs> I, I, just, I love the double act that they've got going in the commentary. So, like, Nick Love was just like, The Guardian, they wrote this fucking thing about it. And then you just hear Danny Dyer just go, Cunt, in the background. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, if you think about Time Out, I remember Time Out, like, cunt the life out of business when it came out. When it came out on the telly the other day, it was filming a week. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it just takes time. No. And those fucking clowns that have got a bit of power to write about films at the cinema and that, they're a little sort of cartel of people, most of them about 130, do you know what I mean? They're, yeah. They're writing about these sort of young man's films and that, and they slag them off and all this sort of stuff. And yeah. Okay, there's violence in it, but, you know, we're fucking doing proper, you know, storylines and fucking 
you know, lives fucking, you well, know. Well, the bottom line is, for me, is the difference about this film over all the other films, it's about something. This is a film about something. It's mm. about, it's, mm. you know, there is a comment on our society. You know Listen, what I mean? let me tell you something. Most film critics are failed filmmakers. That's the bottom line. Yeah. Mm. Probably find whoever that kid is that wrote the Guardian thing. He probably tried to make a film and it got fucking knocked back from Vertigo or something like that. Yeah, you know what so I mean? He, yeah, so yeah. he decides to fucking dig us out. Yeah. And then, then, he, then he goes like, fucking Mr. Bean 2, on its opening weekend, took fucking six, <laughs> took six million at the box office. <laughs> And then Danny Dyer just goes, we're in the wrong fucking game, aren't we, mate? <laughs> I'll tell you something. I'll fucking tell you something, right? That Mr. Bean 2, that took six million quid on its opening weekend. Yeah, yeah. No, and no, the what? thing is, people want to go to the cinemas these days. They just don't want to think. No, they just no. do not want to think. They do not want to be provoked into a reaction. Six millions, that's what it fucking took. Fuck yeah. you know, we, well, we, we were in the wrong game, didn't we? You know what? I reckon Danny Dyer should have been cast in Mr. Bean too. Not not as Mr. Bean, I'm not saying... Um, <laughs> <laughs> I that mean, would I be really... an interesting play. Yeah, but I mean, like, you know, just, just silly, lowbrow comedy. I mean, actually, Mr. Bean and Outlaw came out on the same weekend, making that possibly the worst weekend for cinema of all time. <laughs> Two of the very worst films ever made came out, like, at the same time. Can I just say, I will not have any bad words said about the first Mr. Bean film, a.k.a. Bean the Ultimate Disaster Movie. I'm well, sorry. I haven't seen I'm... it. Yeah. So... <laughs> it's a classic. I I've never found Mr. Bean funny. I don't. I don't like it. Like I, I don't. I don't. I don't get it. I mean, it's not as highbrow as Black Adder or whatever, which isn't all that highbrow. But yeah, <laughs> you know, I've got a soft spot for it when I was a kid. And, yeah, you know, nostalgia. <laughs> Mr. Bean, a poor man's Mr. Ben, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. You, Ben, you come on you... our podcast. Yeah, Mr. Ben, please come on. Our <laughs> um, you mentioned Jack earlier on that uh, Danny Dyer he should maybe engage in lowbrow comedy. Well, he already has done, hasn't he? Remember uh, Run for Your Wife? I remember it well. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the Mark Kermode review of Run for Your Wife. I did not. <laughs> I did not see the film itself, despite it having all the British actors in it. It's like they just, they realised, oh shit, they're not making a Harry Potter movie. Everyone's fucking free. Let's get them along for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Outlaw, 2007. A, a profound commentary on the dying days of new labour with a socio-political heart. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. It's Donny oh. Doyle. Oh. It opens with <laughs> Danny Dyer and his partner. On their way to their wedding, they're at a junction and these yobs pull up to them and they basically just intimidate them and then chase them down into a kind of Dockland area or some yeah. sort of kind of industrial area uh, where there's like a dead end and they get cornered and then Danny Dye gets beaten up and then he wakes up and it's all a dream. So the first five minutes of your movie never happened. Yeah, but, and I just yes, I, I, I can't get over the fact that less than ten minutes later, Danny Dye's character actually points out Huh, we're in the same exact place as where the dream was. <gasps> yeah. like, no, I remember that. That was recent. You see, the thing with film is that you use images and editing and your shots to convey that feeling that Danny's die character is feeling. You don't <laughs> fucking include dialogue for that. You use imagery to convey it, Nick Love. Yeah, do you remember? Sake. He's at, now he's I really at... want to see a Danny Dyer silent film. <laughs> 
he's at the same stop where he gets beaten up in the dream sequence that is the first scene of the film, isn't he? He's at there later with his fiance again, so Nick Love sort of restages the shot, and she just sort of turns around to Danny Dyer and is like, Oh, love, isn't this the place that you got beat up? This is where you're beaten up. What do you want to come here for? Don't matter. So we told her the exact intersection where it happens. <laughs> I want to see the sequel where Danny Dyer's character is found to actually have psychic powers and he can see the future, but only when he's dreaming and only if he repeats himself. I would hate to see that Danny Dyer film. This film just has so little faith in humanity. Danny Dyer, like, <laughs> he accidentally crashes his car and some guy just yeah. gets out and is like, what the fuck are you doing, you cunt? And just brutally decks him in the middle of the street. <laughs> they do, like, a twist on that because they basically restage mm, that yeah. part of it. And the same people who pulled up in the car to intimidate them in Danny the Dyer's jobs. Yeah, the fucking yobs, they re-emerge, and <laughs> you think they're going to start shouting abuse at him, and then they just go to him, right, mate, is that an M3? And then Danny Dyer just, like, freaks <laughs> out and goes, fuck this, and then just drives off, and then immediately hits the car in front, and then that turns out to be the guy that ends up putting something across his canister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically just, like... A combination of the Untouchables and Death Wish, and it's it's got loads of different elements from like films that Nick loves seeing compacted into all this. of which are superior. It's like if you watched Michael Winner's Death Wish series and thought, "Man, this just isn't right wing enough for me." <laughs> <laughs> they say in the commentary, like, you know, where Dirty Harry came at, they called that fascist. It's like, because it fucking is. It's totally fascist. It's just, the, the thing is, like, Dirty Harry is, like, a well-made and entertaining fascist yeah. film. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> uh, wow, you just, it's the you triumph just of the, the will of the folks. What I'm just saying, like, Don Siegel was a better fucking, like, trash fash filmmaker than Nick Love is. <laughs> and uh, Outlaw is just artless garbage. Dirty, remember Dirty Harry? You like Dirty yeah, Harry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great film, yeah. right? When that came out, that was accused of being fascist and all that sort of stuff, yeah. just like Outlaw, and it was like, yeah. you know, it takes 15 years yeah. down the line. Of course, Don Siegel also directed, of course, the anti-communist film uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers as well. Oh, hell yeah. And Escape from Alcatraz, which has that scene where uh, Clint Eastwood is racist. There you go. So, <laughs> some questionable uh, films from Don Segal there. Sorry, what were you saying? What were you saying about... So, basically... Russia. 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 So, Outlaw is just basically this incredibly violent vigilante film. And the first opening 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes, is essentially just establishing all the characters and why they are driven to want to come together to set up this vigilante group and take on non A corrupt <laughs> establishment. Pedophile... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> A paedophile enabling Blairite um, <laughs> cabal. <laughs> so the characters we have, we have Danny Dyer, who, of course, the reason he wants to engage in vigilante activity is because he got punched at a T-junction. Yeah, um, I, I, yeah. hang on. I, I'm having trouble sorting out Danny Dyer's trajectory in my head because... The thing is, though, he's not really... Well, he's one of the main characters, but 
a lot of the film isn't really focused on him. A he lot hard, of it's also... I swear, he hardly has any lines. He Not really, many. like, says fuck all, and, like, you know, he has to do a lot of acting with his face, which means he's just, he's just standing there. <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, a 20-minute stretch of the film where I swear he doesn't really have anything to do and stuff. Like, for some of it, it's focused on Sean Bean, and there's a lot of it that's also, like, focused on Lenny James's character, who's the the the, the, uh, the barrister, the lawyer. The black barrister, as Sean Bean described him on GMTV. Oh, really? Different oh. to normal types of barristers. Go on. <laughs> but... And we would like to point out that Sean Bean is Marine in this film as well. <laughs> Isn't Sean Bean actually, like, pretty politically sound in real life? Like, he's... I'm pretty sure he's a Corbyn supporter. I think he is, yeah. I'm pretty sure he came out well before the election and, and said that he was, like, pretty pro-Corbyn. Yeah. Oh, top so... lad, not just coming crawling back when the going gets good. <laughs> <laughs> so should should we talk about Sean Bean's character first? Yes, Marine. Um <laughs> So basically Sean Bean returns from his service in Iraq. Yeah. Uh, soldier. He he comes back. He arrives on this plane that lands at the airport and he's the only one that gets off. Like <laughs> I was expecting like like so this he's so literally one plane has took one like is that how it works or like I'm, I'm not up to clue with kind of you know uh, army transportation I'm not sure yeah he has got a lot of bags with him hasn't he possibly uh, containing some army issue weaponry <laughs> almost certainly he I has. mean like assuming that's where he gets his guns and knuckle dusters and stuff from like that he uses throughout the film. The army is famous for using knuckle dusters. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um, they sort of make this whole thing about good, honourable guys who do things by the book and use all the, the official... queen and country and do and use all the official <laughs> channels and still get let down by the fucking you know the bureaucratic powers that be. So I reckon um, maybe he has got his knuckle dusters and, and guns from the army. I mean, I, I did point out that it's just in the background there's that rather tasteless newspaper headline saying, I was raped by the law. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes, that's uh, Sean Harris's. Yes, yeah, Sean Harris is in the movie as well. And he plays a security guard for a hotel. And he's basically, um, he's a fascist. Yeah. Um, is he the one got... who says, will you stay the night? I don't mean anything queer, just yeah. stay the night. That's yeah, him. that's him. <laughs> he's also Islamophobic. He's also racist. Uh, don't say. He, yeah. I mean, he's in his office um, where I would like to point out he's rigged every room in the hotel with a secret camera so he can spy on people. <laughs> yeah. Like, um... and he's got like some like woman, uh, like partially clothed, like stretching out on the bed and you're like this guy is is a deeply wrong kind of character so pedophilia bad all other sort of sexual crimes fine yeah right yeah i swear he's <laughs> watching a guy wanking in one of them yeah it's 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 it's, it's odd and he in his little office area he has a wall behind him where he has loads of daily mail and tabloid articles just up on the wall yeah. Which features yeah. that article you mentioned there, yeah, yeah. And it's got, yeah. I, I swear to God, there's like string connecting like different ones. Like there's a connection between them. Like, <laughs> and it's one case. There's a big conspiracy. I gotta take it down. <laughs> he's, got, like, he's got like an England flag there as well, just to kind of. <laughs> 
salary like, the point. No, dude, he's got two. He's got a big England flag further <laughs> up the wall, and then he's got a um, like a small one close to his pillow. Like just it must be a, like a football <laughs> sticker or something. If he really needs the magic of the flag, he goes for the big one. But if he can't be bothered standing up, he just uses the little one on the pillow. And <laughs> you you rub it three times like a genie's lamp, and and then you come. <laughs> Poof. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's Sean Harris's character. He's like he's really keen to get this vigilante group set up and stuff, and he's the yeah. one that revels in the violence. Uh, we've got to mention. I think he's Sean the one I Bean. referred to as Captain Bullcut. Yeah, yeah, I think <laughs> so. He does have horrible hair. And Sean Bean has just come back from Iraq. It's sort of implied with PTSD. He comes back home, and his duplicitous, unfaithful wife is sitting in there in full view of a window, doing some steamy hand holding with some random bloke. <laughs> <laughs> Disgraceful. Awful. The state of Britain, I say. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really a damning indictment of the society Blair created, where you just have <laughs> unmarried men and women holding hands in full view of the street. <laughs> women get a pretty bad rap in this film, don't they? Oh, there's, yeah, big time. There's no major female characters in the film at all. In this world, they're there to be stabbed by yobs. They're there yeah. to be strippers. They're quite they're... literally objectified in they, as it's... far as possible or just fucking jilted in the most unceremonious yeah. fashion <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> what? Uh, why what why basically danny dyer is about to get married to his fiance, and then he just decides no i can't go through with this i've got to go join the vigilante group and <laughs> kill some cops <laughs> <laughs> Just like, yeah, they're getting married and there's all this sort of, like, swirling soundscape going on. And Danny Dyer is just tuning out and his fiancée is, like, smiling expectantly at him. And he keeps, like, gazing, like, towards the fucking door of where they're getting married. Like, like, as if he keeps gazing down the aisle as if, like, oh, can I, can I get away with leaving? Is anyone going to know this? If I sprint. Uh... <laughs> and then the priest is like do you take her as your lawfully wedded wife and he's just like nah and just runs away <laughs> Like, there's no reason for him to do that. The fiancé character is never built up as being this kind of, like... Adversary uh, or anything. Yeah, it's, it's so... If anything, you feel sorry for her. Like, she's why, not, why yeah. is he not a character? She doesn't have any lines. She just sits <laughs> in the car with him <laughs> a couple of times. Had, not only do two female characters not talk to each other about anything other than men, they just literally don't talk about anything on their own other than men. It's just... Oh, my God. Should we talk about Lenny James's character? Because his wife is one of the only female characters in the film, and she is pretty unceremoniously dispatched pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> in the running order of a movie. Yeah, he's basically... Uh, a 
barrister, and he receives one... a death. He's he's one of the two black characters in the film, one of whom is his wife, who we already mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) During this court case, he receives death threats from the gangster who's being put on trial, and they they threaten to kill his his pregnant wife, and they go through with it. And this is why he decides to join the vigilante group to get his own back. There's not much character built up, really. Like, he's probably the most fleshed-out character, but that's not saying much anyway. He just gets racially abused used multiple times throughout the film so yeah. that Nick yeah. Love can be like, look, racism's bad! <laughs> like, basically, um... <laughs> Nick Love is like, I need to have a scene in the film where they fight in the street, so basically they're all going to be at the pub and Lenny James's character is going to be uh, racially abused and then that encourages them all to finally man up and go out there and face <laughs> them on the street and batter them. I and love they get how... the shit kicked out foreshadowed that is like mere minutes before because uh <laughs> sean bean i thought he goes to the bar for a piss or something and he's like oh try not to get yourself killed without me and literally <laughs> like they do not last two minutes without him before some random very aggressive man calls lenny james a black cunt and gets all aggressive towards him and then obviously like sean bean comes back and is like did you call my mate a black cunt and has to kind of come in and save the day so yeah you have you have a nice white savior moment there except then they go out to fight those guys and all of them get the shit beaten out of them. (laughs) Danny Dyer's uh, mates with them as well and he just completely melts and he's like kind of just... He's like this really annoying character that works in the same office with Danny Dyer's character. And and he's just... Is that him? Yeah, do you remember? He's like like a really weaselly kind of character who's just like constantly asking Dyer questions and annoying him and stuff. And he's he's out. For some reason, he's in that scene as well when they're all out having a drink i didn't Um, see that connection talking of like the uh, foreshadowing in the film briefly going back to danny dyer jilting his fiance there is actually a scene where he's in the car with sean bean about to do some violent things and he's trying to like have a man-to-man heart-to-heart conversation he's like you know supposed to be getting married next weekend not sure i really want to and then Sean Bean's just like, shut up and get out of the car. So, so that's, that's, they leave that as, as that. That's Nick Love's idea of a tender moment in this film. What? You yeah, mean I mean, we're back they're, in they're a place men. you got they're beat up? have feelings, right? <laughs> we also need to explain Bob Hoskins' character in the film, yes. who essentially, he provides them all the information on, well, what's the line he says? Because he it. finally meets Sean Bean's character sits him down and explains his motivations for why he wants to help them trap, quote, cunts, paedophiles, and he, he, he just goes on this uh, rant. It's, uh, he says, I'll feed you paedophiles, dealers, bullies, junkies, scum, cunts, dogs. Yeah. It's a bit unfair to, to people who are addicted to drugs, putting them in the same bracket as paedophiles. And, you know, dogs are nice. What, what have they done to be <laughs> bracketed in with bullies? <laughs> Still, at least there's no violence against dogs in this film. Oh, no, that, I, think, I think that would have really, that would have tipped us over the edge where we're like, Just yes, a step is... too far right there. <laughs> we're like, right, I can't even laugh at this film. So Bob Hoskins' character, yeah, the reason he explains why he wants to help them is he goes, two weeks ago... Some kids from our street set fire to a 79-year-old woman because she called the police. That's why he wants to basically help this vigilante group. Two weeks ago, some kids from our street, they set fire 
to a 79-year-old woman because she called the police after they tried to rob her three times. And do you know what the police said? Paperwork. I want to help you. I can get you sleeves on all of Manning's people on the ground, the ones that hurt Monroe, the ones that killed his family. The law failed him. We won't. And you get that right, and I'll feed you pedophiles, dealers, bullies, junkies, scum, cunts, dogs, lots. And on top of that, I'll try and keep you one step ahead of the law. Yeah? This is my job. This is what they gave me after serving 25 years on the force. I get to drive high-risk prosecution and collect CCTVs. You want to know why? Because I play it by the fucking book. That feeds into the themes in the film of good people being abandoned by the powers that be and this very kind of Dirty Harry-style concern about bureaucracy gone mad. <laughs> but do we <laughs> know anything about this 79-year-old woman? I mean, for uh, all we know, she could very much deserve being set on fire. I would like to point out you don't actually see the 79-year-old woman set on fire. It's just no, a minor dialogue. Thing. It literally comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And I was so taken aback by, like, why, or what? Like, and, <laughs> it came out and, of nowhere. And they say they set fire to her because she called the police. But what was she calling the police about? What heinous crime had been committed that got her to, to dial 999? And they set fire to someone else? Were there paedophiles <laughs> roaming the streets? Like, what had happened? <laughs> I think it's a great example of just vile leftist abuse, you know, setting fire <laughs> to... Horrible lefty trolls. <laughs> the other yeah. day, Momentum set fire to my 79-year-old mother simply because she said that she didn't want their local MP to be deselected. <laughs> Did you see that debate in Parliament the other day about abuse and that Tory MP Bob Stewart, who is on record as a supporter of torture, um, he, he came out and said, my children's teacher said that the other kids shouldn't talk to them because I'm a Tory MP. All my four children have been hassled by other kids in their local schools because of the job of their father. There is little that can be done about that because they're children and my kids are robust enough to withstand it. But such behaviour is taken to a new level when during the last general election a teacher tells the class of my 13-year-old boy that nobody should talk to him because he is the son of a Conservative MP. 
And then you have this other MP who's like, thank you to my honourable friend for sharing this harrowing story with us so gallantly. (laughs) I'm like, oh my god, like imagine pretending to believe that. (laughs) I'm grateful to my uh, honourable and gallant friends for sharing with the house such a personal and deeply upsetting and deeply troubling incident that's happened to his son but if it's true i mean that that teacher like is a goddamn legend like oh god graham jones mr iranian hangman said something really really funny in the abuse debate as well oh yeah it was basically that his like five-year-old son got bullied because he voted to bomb syria or something (laughs) (laughs) why the the nursery teacher like what i have no idea by who yeah apparently all the other kids at graham jones's child's nursery school have really strong anti-imperialist perspectives (laughs) we're raising a very woke generation (laughs) this is the effects of cultural marxism i fucking told you (laughs) but i mean nick love i'm sure would suggest that cultural marxism was really firmly ingrained in our culture throughout the blair era (laughs) oh yeah big time marxism was a big part of blairism big big part (laughs) um sean bean he's come out and said we know he's pro corbyn danny dyer I believe, I'm pretty sure I, I heard somewhere that he was actually quite pro-Corbyn as well. Somebody asked him last year, Corbyn or Smith, and he said Corbyn, but he spelt it Corbyn with an I, which suggests <laughs> that maybe he was thinking of Baron Corbyn, the wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> you that... fucking can't! You fucking can't. I was going to say, because you know we, we know that Sean Bean is a bit of a comrade, Danny Dyer questions still hang over his head. Um, But what do you think of the politics of Nick Love? The business, which is his his sort of Costa del Sol crime film set in Spain, it takes place during the 80s. Also with a great commentary. uh, Yes. (laughs) Where Danny Dyer likes to keep reminding you that he has a massive penis. (laughs) He truly is the Owen Smith of the film industry he is the owen smith of the film industry you know just so you know i'm I'm, you know he he cannot help but remind you that he has a pretty large pecker 29 inches mate 29 inches (laughs) but off a thousand lads to get my bird But yeah, basically, the business is set during the 1980s and starts in southeast London with uh, Danny Dyer's character Frankie sort of kind of wanting to escape the factory era in the UK and then kind of going over to start a new life. So it, yeah. I, I get, so maybe he's yeah, not exactly but, a but, Thatcherite. But, but uh, a working class centric critique of Thatcher is not necessarily coming from the left. There was exactly. an active national front during Thatcher's time in office. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I would say that the <laughs> politics that I picked up from Outlaw were somewhat fascistic. Yes. <laughs> to put it mildly. Because it's it, 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 Dark Nights without Batman. Yeah, I, I'd say for a filmmaker at least who seems incredibly enamoured with the working class, 
it seems kind of terrified of working class people. I mean, (laughs) the the film literally starts with a gang of quote-unquote chav stereotypes in fucking grey tracksuits and stuff in their shitty beat-up ride, chasing Danny Dyer down like it's a fucking car chase at the start of the film, and then (laughs) beating the crap out of him and punching his wife as well. You know, she gets punched in the start of the film, jilted later on. Women really do not get on very well in this movie. But, good punching bags, what can I say? But yeah, throughout the film it just returns to this kind of notion of a lawless country, of somewhere where, you know, the youth are just going wild, they don't respect their elders, they don't respect servicemen. Like, you see when Sean Bean is, uh, I think he's just leaving home after seeing that his wife is holding hands with that bloke in a steamy fashion. And those other... Um, louts at the bus stop see him and they're like oh, yeah. oh geezer I can't remember what they say it's all <laughs> interchangeable oh you fucking cunt <laughs> they're, like, they're like you're right soldier and then like because basically Sean Bean is walking to his house he says to him you're right lads and they're like you're right soldier and they kind of like slowly creep up on him but then back off but uh, <laughs> we would like to point Maybe. out that Outlaw at that time in British cinema was part of a running trend of films like uh, Eden Lake Harry Brown, Cherry Tree Lane, where the chaff stereotype is used as the main threat in those films. Yeah, it is um, exploited. It is quite uh, literally demonised in that these people are just a kind of pure incarnation of evil. Surehand for scary poor people. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I guess Little Britain was probably winding down in 2007, mm. which featured all kinds of like hilarious chav stereotypes and stuff. Yeah, um, That was sarcastic. I really don't think it's a funny show but um, <laughs> has not aged well at all no nope. very very of its time oh, yeah it's um, very like we've sorted everything out we can punch down because society itself is basically fine what does it matter if we make fun of like fucking like, everyone handicapped people yeah, yeah. Like, literally everything harry brown is probably one of the more kind of like, <laughs> recognized films of this type yeah and it is underclass of the yeah, yeah it's so I, I can't stand it. We yeah. watched that together, didn't we, Jack? Yeah, I, I remember, and I was just sort of like, I really don't like this. I don't, yeah. I don't know what it's trying to say. That, you know, things just ain't like they used to, and old blokes can't wander the block, whoever that being assaulted by some cunt. No, it, I, I thought it was appalling, yeah. No, I, I Sometimes it was, you um... just need to go into a marijuana den and just shoot the dealer point blank in the head. <laughs> so that's, that's, the, that's the message of Harry Brown. Fucking pot dealers. God damn it. Should we talk about the villains in Outlaw then? Other than uh, obviously Blair himself. Because <laughs> <laughs> he fucking created this landscape. <laughs> yeah. There's the criminal slash paedophile He's sort um, of the main one, I guess you could say, but there's several different antagonists that each of the characters yeah. like face up against. Because, of course, the paedophile gangster is the one who is involved with the murder of Lenny James's wife, I believe, was it? Yeah, I think he's the one who does the murder, and in fact, he's definitely the guy who shows up next to Lenny James in the toilets 
and is like, You need to lay off this fucking case right now or I'll fucking do you and your kid in, son. He's definitely a bad guy. And Peter Bradshaw wrote in his review in The Guardian, which I thought was pretty funny, a review that really fucked off Nick Glove and Danny Dyer. <laughs> he wrote... <laughs> A vicious drug dealer's enforcer is treated to summary justice by Bean's mob on the additional grounds that he is a quote-unquote nonce. <laughs> a paedophile who is also a terrifying-looking gangster. How very convenient. <laughs> and then there is this scene where Bob Hoskins is on the phone to Sean Bean and he has found the guy on CCTV. Was it CCTV from the toilets? He says he's just done uncovered ages after that scary man approached Lenny James at the toilet and he's just like the line reading really cracked me up for some reason he's just like the geezer's a fucking nonce put him down (laughs) (laughs) and it's, it's also worth saying that Bob Hoskins in this film physically aesthetically reminds me of the director in Borat <laughs> not, the di- not Larry yes, Charles the director yes, of Borat part. but the guy who travels around with Borat the character directing yeah. this film and so I, I could not like get that out of my head throughout the whole film <laughs> and Hoskins looks so disheveled and disgruntled I mean he is not a bad bit of casting for some cop who uh, has been in the force for 22 years and has been marginalised because as he shouts I'll play it by the fucking book <laughs> you can see his full set of teeth in every line he enunciates it's just like <laughs> yeah. it's, oh, he fell a long way since the long good Friday so basically all these characters get together don't they because they've all got some grievance with society Lenny James's wife gets stabbed and she has a miscarriage talking about blacks I have a guess what's just happened to an old barrister of mine. No? Someone's only gone and stabbed his pregnant missus in the stomach with a knife, killed their baby. How sick's that? And then later on in the film, she unceremoniously dies off screen in hospital. <laughs> yeah, Lenny James is waiting in the corridor, and then the surgeon just comes out and goes, we did everything we can. Yeah. <laughs> Before that, I kind of assumed that she'd already died. Yeah. Because same. you don't see her after she gets assaulted yeah. and stabbed in the stomach. <laughs> I mean, yeah, pretty much. What else does that character <laughs> offer to the story? Nothing. Well, I reckon Nick Love, maybe he had some budget problems. He went through his script and he was like, right, let's turn this into a tight hour 45 long film. And he's like, right, what is superfluous in this script that we could Women! Use? Yeah, he just went through. He's like, right, woman speaks a line here. Cut that, cut that, cut that. He's like, oh, fuck, I've only, I've only managed to cut five minutes of a film. Should have written more women. <laughs> They basically all have some grievance. Sean Penn, like, Sean, no, sorry, Sean Bean. (laughs) (laughs) There's one other member of the vigilante group who we haven't spoken about, played by Rupert Friend. He's a student. He is a long-haired, pussy, middle-class, pussy, student, pussy from Cambridge. Pussy. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he then... refuses to beat a prisoner with a baseball bat. What? what ah, fucking melt. But to be fair, being part of the gang does work wonders for him because when we see him at the start of the film, he's this kind of quivering wreck. And then <laughs> we see him a bit later in the film after the group has temporarily disbanded their vigilante squad, and he is winking at attractive girls. Oh, yeah. He is playing rugby now. <laughs> the guy comes Being on a vigilante can open so many doors. You just gotta yeah. consider it. So it's basically like all these lads get together. You've got Danny Dyer's nothing character who had a dream that he was gonna get beaten up. You, you have fucking Lenny James who is very upset that his wife got murdered and he lost his unborn child in the process. Sean uh, Harris is just a He's just a fascist. He yeah, he's just yeah, he's just yeah, a fascist yeah. who wants to commit horrific violence. <laughs> <laughs> Should we talk about the sort of bonding scene where Sean Harris is just going on about who's like first on his list who would kill? I think Danny Dyer is just like, first on my list would be the fucking bullies. Like there's a couple of times in this they mention bullies as like yeah. one of the real like worst people in society. But along so with pedophiles and Well that's the thing. Pedophiles are pretty much the only unequivocally bad people in the list that Bob Hoskins gives. Dealers, junkies there's an element of moral ambiguity there. Scum and cunts, well, those are subjective value judgments <laughs> yeah. there. And dogs are very good boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about the scene when the group finally have enough of Sean Harris's character? Yeah. And yeah, decide well, well, to brutally murder him. <laughs> wait, do they murder well, him? Oh, um, no. Actually, they, they, they tie him up to a tree... And Sean Bean shoots him in the kneecap, and then I think it's revealed that he dies off screen or something. Like that. Oh, really? <laughs> it's so fucking brutal, isn't it? He's saying to Sean Bean, like, You're all talk, mate. You've never done anything. It's just talk, 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 order us a bat, and nothing to show for it. And then, like, the next thing you just see, it's just a smash cut to Sean Bean stringing him up and shooting him. <laughs> <laughs> And the, and the it, effect on it is so terrible because he shoots him through the kneecap and they use like this kind of effect where basically there's just a see-through <laughs> hole that's appeared in his kneecap and it just looks terrible. <laughs> that made me slightly confused about the morality of the film because before that you have the scene where they've got the quote-unquote nonce slash the guy who killed Lenny James's wife. They've basically got him strung up. I think Sean Harris like stabs him as something yeah, yeah, uh, yeah and sean bean like instead of hanging him like cuts him down and then what do you know the guy like kills again and murders bob hoskins because they uh, <laughs> they gave him that moment of mercy and so i'm just confused by like that guy is like the big bad of the movie but they don't kill him but then they just fuck sean harris up for just being an annoying little <laughs> yeah. shit yeah like <laughs> Because Sean Bean's... The reason he cuts the paedophile gangster loose is because he says to Sean Harris's character, we don't actually know whether he did that. 
although Bob Hoskins has briefed them on this and told him that he's he, he's done all this stuff, basically it's a reason for them to just basically string out just a bit longer so they can have a big like gunfight at the end. That's the yeah. only reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do we talk about the scene where, since we've mentioned the way in which Sean Harris's character is uh, unceremoniously dispatched, there's the little bit before where he gets on everyone's nerves after Danny Dyer has said that bullies are his least favourite person. Sean Harris is like, I'll get rid of all the fucking wrong-uns, all the fucking paedophiles, the fucking what's he say, like the cunts. Ian Hunt the Ian Huntleys, the fucking cunts, the Muslims and it's like, oh, <laughs> and then Lenny James at this point, because his wife has been murdered the one black character in the film is like do you know I'm a Muslim? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there's this like fantastic like woke Nick Love scene where it's like, hey, not all, not Muslims, all Muslims are about. radical Islamic terrorists, you know. <laughs> and one of them is like, yeah, that's like saying you hate all Irish people because of the IRA. It's like British people fucking did precisely that for decades. Yeah. <laughs> the very, very, very brief moment in which this film and Nick Love is woke before it goes back to its usual kind of just ridiculous <laughs> nature bullies I put them top of my list you know I hate them there's a few that are gonna get served one day I stop there we can do what we want now you should know where to draw the line here yeah? what line boss what are you gonna do punch every traffic warden you come across no I'm talking about your nonsense and that your Gary glitters your grasses Sickos, Muslims, ain't a fucking lot of them. Ian Huntley, maybe the first to fucking go. I'm a Muslim, Hillier. You want to kill me? You're not a Muslim, you're a black. Oh, so I'm not allowed to be a Muslim because I'm a black. Here, boss, what was that thing you said about suicide bombers? You don't have to be a Muslim to blow yourself up. I'm talking about individuals, not religions. What are you going to do? Kill all the Irish because of the IRA? Yeah, I would. You're such a Philistine sometimes, Hilly. No, I'm British. 100% me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I know what we need to talk about. We need to talk about this idea's film. Oh, well, oh, you call it cinematography. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Get your fucking eyes tested, you can't! Yeah, in the audio commentary, they say, basically, you know, a lot of these people, if they've had fucking ten pints and stuff, they struggle to keep up. And then Nick Love just goes, if you fucking couldn't follow the shaky cam on this film, you'd get your fucking eyes tested. Get your fucking eyes tested, mate. The thing is, though, the reason it's so nauseating is because every single shot in this film yep. has a shaky cam filter put on it so it's not actually yeah. been shot that way it hasn't actually, so basically when they've got the camera they haven't shot it freehand in editing they've put a filter on which basically makes it look as if the camera's shaking and it looks just <laughs> terrible it's like the whole thing we're on a tiny little dinghy in the sea yeah. <laughs> it's awful and it has it every single shot has the way the way it moves sick. exactly yeah. the way it moves is the exact same in every because obviously it's this custom filter which has been made to move as if it's like a shaky cam but it moves in the same way in every single shot so it just looks so fake so basically basically like Nick Love's been watching like Chris Nolan films and like films of that time that were really kind of integrating a shaky cam into its cinematography and he's like well I'm going to try that but he yeah, shot but, but, it on the tripod and then he's just added in the shaky 
effects afterwards and it just whether looks it's chris nolan or whether it's nick love the problem with those fucking shaky cam fight scenes is you can't fucking see who's punching who it's too like, punch yeah. <laughs> i make the point again that walter hill is the best action director because his films particularly his ones from the late 70s and the 80s are just so crisp and clear and easy to follow and visually accessible you know obviously shot on film with a fucking camera that isn't being held by somebody having severe fucking withdrawal symptoms from something or other (laughs) (laughs) it's uh, yeah that's how you do an action movie something where you don't lose track of what's going on happening yeah in the action yeah the action needs to be seamlessly part of the narrative and nick love fails miserably here i mean I'm prone to migraines. I <laughs> felt a pretty strong headache coming on after trying to focus on this film for the first 45 minutes or so. And let me tell you, after I smoked myself a little something, it did not get better. <laughs> my, my eyes only became more unfocused and my head only became more... What can I say other than it? freaks my nut out to this day (laughs) (laughs) they obviously shot this because this film was not shot on film it wasn't shot on 35mm it was obviously shot on a digital camera and it it just has a really horrible grainy glum look to it so you've got the so together with that really intense filter that makes it almost look black and white in a lot of scenes like there's just no colour going on exactly did you notice there's certain shots that are like they're just kind of in coherent they might be a stationary shot the camera might be mm. still but half the shot will be out of focus and danny die will be obscured <laughs> by a fucking coat hanger oh yeah or they something. keep pulling the focus back and forth like whoa what's going on here like... <laughs> and, and nick loves like oh, yeah mate, it's a fucking arty shot it's like no no it's bad <laughs> <laughs> Incoherent does not equal arty, okay? <laughs> yeah. There's good incoherence and there's outlaw. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the outlaw gang as they're known because obviously they're so different to everyone else who is outside of the law <laughs> that they, yeah. they have a divine claim to the label outlaw they basically gain notoriety even you could say a level of popularity they seem oh. to get praised in the yeah. tabloids did you notice emily how do you say her name Machis mathis from the bbc they're Mathis? like yeah that's it one of their most well-known newsreaders cameos in the film like yeah. quite a yeah. bit like she, she does all the announcements in it and <laughs> they do it so they basically hilarious. to show that the british people are on their side and stuff yeah so that, you know this vigilante group has popular support from the british public <laughs> Poll, which was commissioned by the Home Office, trains which is sweeping England. The latest in a string of violent incidents said to be provoked by the outlaws have again criticised elements of the media for what they call zero worshipping the armed gang after several tabloids called them a Robin Hood What's unclear about the outlaw gang is who they are and why they've taken to the streets. And later in the programme, we're going to have your say in our text vote as to whether you see the gang as heroes or as villains. Oh my god, the montage where Emily Mathis is reporting on it on the TV 
and they just cut to people around the country just transfixed. No, it's not. It's on the police press conference about them that's being yeah, live, yeah, yeah. live broadcast on TV. And you see, like, this family in this, like, swanky fucking kitchen watching it <laughs> with their kids. And then you see people standing outside a TV shop, watching it silently on the TV. It's like that is literally only a thing that happens in movies. Yeah, really. <laughs> um, it's been done to death so many times, but it rears yeah. its head in this film somehow. Or turn, Nick Love. The big speech when he rallies them all into the gym. He tells Yes! Them to- so this is uh, Sean Bean's character. So basically, he's kind of he's drilling them and stuff, and he's trying to lay out the ground rules. You know, he's you know, he starts by going, "Why are you here? Why are you here?" Yeah. And they're, they're of course like, oh, "I don't know. You told us to come here." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I can't teach he... you how to fight because you already can. Yeah. <laughs> Deep down, you want to stay because you've been abandoned by the powers that be, and there's nowhere else to turn. Yeah, this is the most political scene in the entire film, and he just goes, if you want to spend the rest of your lives getting bullied by cunts like Blair and having paedophiles wander the fucking playgrounds while you <laughs> smile mutely and pay your fucking taxes, then get out the door. Get AIDS. I jump on a bus with a rucksack full of explosives. Government will dish you out a free car these days. But keep your head down, be a good citizen, and walk without a limp, and you get zip. That's why you're all here. You count for nothing. And your cries fall on deaf ears, same as me. But if you want to spend the rest of your lives getting bullied and raped by cunts like Blair, and having paedophiles wander their fucking playgrounds while you smile mutely and pay your fucking taxes, and get out the door. I want to learn how to fight back. And then Danny Guy, <laughs> after a few seconds, goes, I want to learn how to fight back. And then Sean Harris yeah. goes, me? So do I. <laughs> it's just like terrible. Yeah. As I said, Nick Love just bashing away the keyboard. Like, this is fucking brilliant. This is just like, it'll be right about it. It's the fucking papers, you know, years to come. Fucking social so- commentary. Love it. <laughs> Let's just recap what it actually says about the Blair era. So it says, I guess, that the Iraq war was bad and that there wasn't sufficient help provided to veterans returning to the UK. They also say at some point that he's come back from the war and it's actually worse than Iraq in Britain. He's like, it's like a war zone here as well. And I really just don't think that somebody who'd been in Iraq on the front line, because this character is the ultimate fucking alpha male fucking badass. He would have been on the front line. He probably killed about a hundred men with his bare hands and marine aid a few more besides. Like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, this, this is a serious soldier. So he would have fucking seen things. And the idea that he comes back from Iraq and just gets fucking spooked by a bunch of, like, youths in tracksuits hanging out on his street corner and saying, hello, soldier in a slightly effete kind
kind of way. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure it's entirely believable. Well, actually, do you remember the part when Sean Harris goes, trust me, when he's talking about all the cameras he's got set up in the different rooms in the hotel, trust me, I've seen things that you probably haven't seen in Iraq. It's like, what? <laughs> Like, what the well, fuck? I guess he didn't see there? a lot of people wanking in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> he watched the emergence of a caliphate unfold <laughs> on those screens. You're a soldier. You like this? Rig it all up myself. No one else knows about it. Dirty fucking world. And I've seen things happen in these rooms you wouldn't have even seen as a soldier. Trust me. You could stay here if you wanted. I'm married. I'm not a queer, if that's what you're thinking. I just meant you could stay here. Use a camp bed. <laughs> no, then, yeah, Sean has is like, ah, mate, I've seen a gangbang in room 69 the other day, so beat that. <laughs> That's a great bit. I think it might be in that scene in the gym where Sean Bean is like, I'm talking about legitimate targets. I'm talking about the... violence. I'm t- yeah, I'm talking about the people who hurt you. I'm talking about fucking violence. I'm talking about legitimate targets. I'm talking about the people that hurt you. I'm talking about fucking violence. It's like violence. fucking violence, yeah. Did we, did we mention this is a violent film? <laughs> <laughs> you know the line you mentioned earlier on when Bob Hoskins' character Walter's like, the geezer's a fucking nonce, put yeah. him down. The response yeah. from Sean Bean's character's like, you're a good man, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I found the CCTV in the court toilets with Monroe. Your man's called Furlong. Ian Furlong. And he currently resides in a bail hostel in the West Country. Text me the address that smudge of him to Decker's phone. Why is he on bail? Shoplifting crayons, apparently. Then I found a CPS document saying he was originally charged with sexually assaulting a minor, but they buried him. Down to his cooperation with certain police officers. The geezer's a fucking nuns. Put him down. You're a good man, Walter. Thanks for everything. Yeah, you too, son. This film is basically like Hang the Pedos, the movie. <laughs> like, so, so we were talking about what it sort of suggests Blair got wrong. I mean, maybe not. Summary execution a... for Peter. Yeah. <laughs> not having a sort of even more draconian Asbo scheme. <laughs> you know, just life in prison for anyone who, like, drops a bit of litter on a council estate. <laughs> like, Jury um, trials, bad idea. Yeah, but he doesn't just let random people hang paedophiles because you know, <laughs> the police aren't going to do it because the police can't be bothered to do all the paperwork. <laughs> it's so confusing. Just everything about the film's diagnosis of Britain in 2007 social ills. <laughs> well, on the note of its general technical ineptitude, there was a bit I found quite 
amusing where they're in a van getting away from somewhere. I think this is after one of them has slit open a bag of money and let it fall out onto the street and everyone's like, wow, these guys are like Robin Hood. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they're, they're in the van driving away. And you see the front window of a van, windscreen, that's what they're called. (laughs) I don't drive. (laughs) They're in this van, and you see in the windscreen, it's just blinding white light. And I'm like, are they getting away to heaven? Little did you know that that was Nick Love's way of, yeah, exactly. He wanted to leave a lot of subliminal message in there that what they're doing is they're actually driving towards heaven for the good work they're doing for British society. They actually die during that sequence of the film. You don't see it. All the shootout They're true the martyrs. End, that's just another dream. Yeah, they're true martyrs. Just like, you know, the ISIS boys that Sean Harris watched on the CCTV in the hotel. <laughs> but yeah, basically, like, so, so they're in this van driving away. And you see this, like, blinding white light. And I'm like, hang on, could they not even be asked to, like, green screen in a fucking road there? And so I start to think, hang on. This van probably isn't moving because the camera is no shakier than it is in any other film. So presumably... (laughs) Sorry, any other scene in the film. So presumably they conjured up the effect of that van moving by just, like, sticking on a van moving sound effect and shaking the camera a bit. (laughs) Filmmaking! (laughs) Yes, it's great being able to see where the seams are in the film. What did I tell you? He's fucking out there. (laughs) He's fucking insane! And then Lenny James pipes in like, Maybe, but he speaks sense. (laughs) I'm in the toilet. Try not to kill anybody while I'm away. What I tell you, eh? Fucking out there. He's completely insane. Maybe, but he speaks sense. I wanted to think that. Look, yeah, because they're referring to Sean Harris's character, aren't they? Sean Bean's character. The big man. The top lad. We would like to point out that none of the actors in this film received any nominations for any Best Acting awards. Even though <laughs> you can fucking Rob, Bean's really going for it. He's really invested in this role. Because there's a BBC News interview where uh, Nick Love and Sean Bean are kind of. I think it's like a morning BBC News show. Uh, that's and, the one I watched, and, not GMTV yeah, then. And, and Sean Bean's just like, well, the main reason I uh, wanted to work on this film is because of Nick here. It's just like, <laughs> wow. Well, uh, Sean and Nick are here now, as we see. And, Sean, you play uh, a soldier who's come back from from service and and finds sort of a different Britain to how you left it. It's a very, very violent film, isn't it? Any qualms about uh, your past? It is a bit violent, (laughs) I should say. I I found it, I mean, I'll be honest with you, all the sort of bone-crunching moments Mm. and set to a soundtrack, I I find it quite a difficult watch. Did you have any qualms at all about the role? No, I didn't, really. I mean... uh... I suppose one of the first things I, I mean that, that attracted me was working with uh, with, with Nick, you know, uh, because uh, I think he uh, the, the films that he make are very unapologetic and uh, you know and, and very realistic and uh, you know it's not very often you get that they're not mm. made to a format they, they they are very very passionate films and so that was a big attraction for me. Yeah, Nick, you said this is a film that you're most proud of. Yeah, the absolutely. Films that you've done. Yeah. Why is that? Because um, I think that my other films, you know, like the Football Factory and the Business, they were more just lads' films. You know, they were they were playing straight to sort of one one audience, which is young males. And I just think that Outlaws got, I mean, it is uncompromising, it is brutal, but it's got a very strong political and social conscience. And I think that 
you know, that's probably why I'm proud of it. Because but I'm just saying political and social conscience is the core of the film, and the violence naturally flows from that. Well, I think, the, I mean, no, I'm, you know, I'm getting, as ever, I'm getting sort of drawn over the hot coals the amount of violence in the film. And, you know, the bottom line is, if you're going to make a film about people that are desperate enough to take the law into their own hands, you have to show how difficult it is for them to do that. And so, therefore, it has to be, it, it's a violent world. Well, it's not every day <laughs> you get to work with a proper auteur and also a serious fucking actor who has done Pinter and that. Yes? What? Pinter play did he do Danny Dyer? Because Danny Dyer, basically I sent a link to an interview of Danny Dyer. It's on YouTube and I would highly recommend people check it out. It's called Danny Dyer, Nothing to Something. And it's mm. shot in black and white and it's got a Hans Zimmer... Proper serious. It's proper serious. And so Danny Dyer talks about him getting into acting and how he's been typecast in a lot of films. You know, I wouldn't know. I, I couldn't possibly imagine how he's been typecast, but he, he has <laughs> But yeah, he talks about the first kind of acting gig that he got, which was a small part in an episode of Primal Suspect. Prime so, Suspect. Pri Pri Prime Suspect. That's the sign. Primal Suspect. <laughs> it's like the Neanderthal version. <laughs> wasn't, there, wasn't there like an ITV show long years ago called Primal Something where they it go was called back Primeval. And... That's it. <laughs> that was because ITV wanted a show to put on at 7 o'clock on Saturdays to compete with Doctor Who. So dinosaurs coming through time to modern day. <laughs> and all the, the cops got to fucking stop the dinosaurs in their tracks. Playing it by the fucking book like Bob Hoskins. So, so basically in, the, in this interview he talks about how he got this role in Prime mm. Suspect. And he got to work with, you know, fucking David Fulis, method Legend. actor. He's going on about her. So basically, I learned so much from fucking David Fulis from one day on this part. And he did this thing because, you know, he's method. And basically, he played my pimp, and I was a rent boy in it. And he, <laughs> he goes like, basically, he did this fucking thing because he's method. And he grabbed me by the neck and he kissed me. And you know, because I'm a fucking actor, I took it. You know, my dad was yeah. on the set and he's like, "What's he fucking doing, my boy?" And I was like, "Dad, no, calm down. This is the game we're in now." And the part was for a rent boy, right? But it's a good part, right? It wasn't just fucking noshing people off. My first ever scene was with David Fulis, wicked actor, method, right? And like, I learned so much from doing one scene with him, I tell you, from probably the next three years of, of being an actor. That one half hour I spent with him, when he played my pimp, and he chases me down the street, right? And he gets hold of me like that, and he fucking throws me up the fucking, this corrugated iron like that. And he'd done this thing, my old man wanted to smash him over it, right? Because he was, um, he wanted to show his power to me. He kissed me on the mouth. That wasn't in the fucking script, right? And I've suffered it, I went, fucking hell, you know what I mean, like, boom. The old man was fuming, going, what's he fucking doing to my boy? I went, slow down, it's alright, it's the game we're in. It's the game we're in now, you know what I mean? This is a different world, you know, you've got to accept it. But I remember watching this cunt, Fulis, and I thought, fucking hell, man, this is what it's about. This kid's just fucking nice as pie one minute, and then he switches into this character, and he's gone, mate, a fucking evil cunt. And I thought, yeah, give me, I want some of that. <laughs> My dad wanted to spark his fucking lights out. <laughs> it's an incredible, incredible interview that I would highly recommend people check out. If you want to get Danny talking about 
how he feels he's been typecast in films. I um, like when he's talking about when he got cast in some film where he played a director or a producer, I think it was, and he did this kind of very uh, eloquent, uh, received pronunciation accent in it because he wanted to try something different, not be typecast. Okay. Then to market the film, they like stuck a picture of him from a football factory and a gun on the front cover, <laughs> which had nothing to do with the film, which was like a, a satire of the film industry. <laughs> and, and so he's just like, oh, you cheeky cunts! He's like, you, he's like, because he, he goes in the interview, he's like, you know, basically, fucking students come up to me, want me, he's like, oh, can you be in my film, please? Yeah, yeah, I'm only in it for ten minutes. The fucking cunts put me on the front cover with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm, and then that fucking bombs, and it has a fucking effect on me and my career. People are fucking putting scripts for you, I'm getting five a day. We do this, mate. Oh, we do this. Oh, oh mate, it's the way it is. I'm a first-time director, and I've got a little bit of money, and I could come and do like a couple of days of my film. And I'm like, yeah, of course, bruv. Yeah, sweet. I'll do what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's what you want me to do. Yeah, you want me to do that? Yeah, all right. See what? Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. Yeah, sweet. And all of a sudden, you know, they're putting my fucking face on the cover of Danny Dyer in. I'm in the fucking thing for ten minutes. So if that film bombs, which is what's happened, I'm the fucking scapegoat for it. Another movie I did called Just For The Record, which um, this is another thing about this movie, what fucked me off. I did this movie because I was playing a producer, right? It's like a mockumentary. I've got a fucking pencil moustache, right? I'm posh. I've got a slick back hair. I thought, I'll do something different, right? Try something different. The cunt puts me on a cover with a fucking photo out of the football factory with a gun in my hand to sell it. It's not about gangsters. It's not about villains. Do you know what I mean? There was a niche in the market for me which other people rinsed and rinsed and rinsed and I'm suffering the consequences for that. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I've learned the hard way with that, I think. I'll just give Danny Dyer a gun. You know, he's got a bit of a swagger. It's like, hold up, I'm a serious fucking actor. I've done like a national theatre. I've done Harold Pinter. I've done proper fucking shit. In the last few years, Danny Dyer's career has actually kind of got on track a bit, hasn't it? And since yeah. he got cast in EastEnders, and he got cast, I think, as a gay guy, which has helped combat his kind of macho lad's reputation. I'd say possibly Danny Dyer has a, a slightly more problematic track record in terms of his attitudes towards women well, than yeah. even, <laughs> even us, even the Real Politic podcast. Were you going to mention his GQ column? It was in Zoo. Loaded. It, it was in, in Zoo, yes. It was in Zoo yeah. where he had a column and he said that the best way to get over splitting up with your partner is to, I believe he said something along the lines of you should cut her face so no one else wants to be with her. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, fucking hell. He like... put his name to some really fucking shocking, violent, misogynistic stuff in Zoo magazine of all Post, places according to him he didn't write that but yeah i say he I put his name to believe. it i don't know if, <laughs> if, if danny's a big writer to be fair so it, i mean i think it is quite likely he got someone else to do it for him I I still have his name to it he should pay slightly more attention to uh, what's going out under his own name or that that is yeah. if he wasn't aware of it which you know he quite possibly was so um, yeah, there's he's, that. He has got his career back on track, hasn't he? He's, I think, he since has. he's been in his standards and stuff, he's sort of carved out a more <laughs> family-friendly image and stuff. Yeah, like, like, the he's thing a is, national like, treasure, mate. 
<laughs> He's England's Rose. I think, like, if you gave him the He's right... the People's Princess. Yes, well, he's actually connected to royalty, isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah, he is. He, is, he went on yeah, an episode of uh, Who Do You Think You Are, think you are? and uh, they found out that he was connected to one of the royal one families. Of the kings. Not yeah. one of the kings. Yeah, like, so there we go. Interesting. Blood, bloody legend, mate. So, um, do we have any, like, final thoughts on Outlaw? If you're going to watch it, watch it with the audio commentary track. Don't sit down and dedicate an hour and 40 minutes of your time trying to follow this film or understand it as any sort of serious <laughs> yes. commentary. Yes, do what Tom said. Yeah. Buy uh, Outlaw and I was... on DVD. <laughs> well, buy you so that you're not supporting them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, as yeah, I was saying yeah, to Tom yeah. before we started recording, if they just moved that scene where they're just gunning down cops in the last 10 minutes, I'd, I'd have enjoyed it. I'd have been like, okay, they're, they're <laughs> shooting cops. This is cool. But no, they, they saved the best bit for the very last minute. So oh, yeah, yeah. Did sense. you not hear? We're a pro-cop podcast now. Oh, no. You, you've told me plenty of times, but I'm we, just ignoring we, that. Now when we play cop or comrade, the cops are actually the good ones. <laughs> <laughs> but then what's the comrades? Ah. Uh, evil pieces of shit who are morally equivalent to fascists. Oh yeah, right. Point, Hillary Clinton. She knows the far Her left, the far right. That. They just yeah. want to watch the world burn. <laughs> what happened, Dave? What happened? Well, unless we have any more concluding thoughts on outlaw, should we maybe do about five minutes on politics and what's been happening? Oh, right. I mean, the people here are only here for that. So let's, let's yeah. we, might as well, we might as well spend five minutes on some. I so know what's... some of our listeners don't approve of our uninteresting opinions on film. <laughs> that was fucking, that was like, I don't give a shit what they think about Twin Peaks, just give me some fucking Blairite slug salting. <laughs> yeah, we, we know. But the real heads who've been with us from day one appreciate that this is a politics-slash-film podcast, however much we neglect the film side of things from time to time. Yeah. I'm just going to nip to the loo quickly. We can have a little toilet break. I'm going to have one as well, because I've drunk loads of tea, so... Be free. Good call. Cool. Ah, all well, right, we're, let's all piss in tandem. <laughs> I'm back, bitches. Oh, you're both gone. <laughs> Hello. All right, I'm back. Hello. I am here. Are we waiting on Tom? Yeah, I I, I got back and Norm's here. Tragic. Dun, dun, dun. Hot <laughs> twist. We all died. Oh, fucking hell. You you remember Romaniacs, right? Yeah. Nick Cohen's gone on it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the only way it could conceivably be worse if they got a fucking turtle face to <laughs> do a bit on it. Oh, so oh, much you... hate in three little weedy bodies. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. That guy. Absolute yeah. bellend. Did he change his name as well? Because that's a very Jewish name. Cohen. No, apparently like his grandfather was Jewish or something. Ah, yeah, yeah. I figured there'd have to be something oh. there. Family. Bit of the Jew, bit of the Jew. Bit of a Jew, bit what? of a Jew. What? What? So I just literally um, came back into conversation. We're just talking about how Jew. much we hate Jews. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're we're just spouting tried... anti-Semitic bile. Oh my god. <laughs> I've tried everything in my power to stop this podcast becoming anti-Semitic, but... <laughs> yeah, but you just can't compete with Yair. <laughs> Yair's the worst Furious out of the whole the group, isn't he? He's just, his anti-Semitism is just <laughs> spewing out of his mouth. Horrifying he's, stuff. Oh, god, he's worse than Corbyn. <laughs> No, we've just basically saying how Nick Cohen's going on Romaniacs. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Skeletal um, remains of Nick Cohen will be going on and running. <laughs> So, what politics we want to talk about then? I can think of George Osborne's profile in some place and uh, Hillary Clinton's book. But the thing is, it's good if we talk about a bit of British stuff, even though I'd love to rip on Hillary as well, because, you know, there's plenty of American podcasts. Yeah, I'm sure we can probably talk about it more at length in the next episode or whatever. Yeah, we can allude to it, but (laughs) should we talk about the George Osborne profile? Okay, so it's in Esquire magazine. <laughs> ah, the days of George Osborne as Chancellor, you know, when we could have credible economic handling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Esquire magazine have published a very long profile on George Osborne, the former chancellor and current editor of the Evening Standard, written by Ed Caesar. No relation to Julius and so on, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a good new account you guys should check out, which is called at come Obama and (laughs) it it has one tweet which simply reads come Obama (laughs) this is come as in the stuff that comes out of your willy rather than the uh, come here you know okay Uh, yeah I think we were guessing that I I don't know well you never know I I think that that is the kind of thing that we should elucidate for our listeners Um, (laughs) okay Okay, I, I found, found one called Obama come. Is it come Obama, is it? It's come Obama. It's one word, at come Obama. At come Obama. Aha. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> it's got 122 <laughs> followers already. <laughs> <laughs> it's got 5,500 likes. <laughs> Did you see there's that account which is called Fuck Everything? And yesterday it did fuck melts <laughs> multiple people sent that to us thank you but anyway thank you. ed caesar's profile in esquire of george osborne is certainly enlightening it's caused a bit of a stir because one of osborne's friends slash colleagues is quoted in it as saying he won't rest until theresa may who sacked him last year is chopped up in little bits in his freezer <laughs> that is vile abuse that is just shocking where is his double page spread in the mail yeah, it's fucking some hell. fucked up shit isn't it and laura rightly pointed out on twitter that if we tweeted that on our account which we obviously fucking wouldn't we'd have the mail and mi5 at our door like <laughs> they're pushing each other to try and get in there is incredible oh. Osborne really does come off as a pretty fucking unnerving character in the course of this profile, not least because we discover that when he was at university, he edited a couple of issues of a student magazine called ISIS. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we we, we all get more right-wing as we get older. (laughs) I was going to say also, do you remember like his unsettling looks when he was in Parliament, where it looked like he was like snorting tons of cocaine? Like, uh, like, yeah. like, like <laughs> not that he'd like know anything tri- about that. <laughs> looks like he's tripping out half the time and stuff during half the Prime Minister's questions. There's a really unnerving bit early on in the piece. I can't remember if this comes before or after the revelation that he has the mentality of a serial killer. He once remarked in a poker reference that he started his career as Chancellor, having been dealt a two and a three. In the description of one of his aides, he saw politics as 
the biggest toy in the playground, a playfulness that manifested itself during exchanges in Parliament, when a puckish smile would often dance across Osborne's face. This naked enjoyment of the sport of politics, and then they say how that fed into one of the criticisms of him, but I mean, I even think the kind of language that this journalist is using there sounds kind of overly enamoured with George Osborne's naked enjoyment of the sport of politics. Just this, this puckish smile dancing across Osborne's face. It sounds like it's written by the kind of person who actually enjoys politicians sparring at each other at PMQs. That extract, mostly, it is kind of terrifying to see how much it's kind of just about process and about the quote-unquote sport of politics yep. for people yep. like Osborne. And they repeatedly make the point that he's loving it. He's loving being at the Evening Standard. What is that thing they say he's doing? George Osborne, blah, blah, blah. There's that huge, long, wanky opening paragraph about how he's rich and boyish and uh, fucking gets the lift up two flights of stairs and it's one long paragraph long sentence and then it climaxes with and he sets to work destroying his political enemies it's like oh, I particularly liked how he destroyed Jeremy Corbyn never oh, yeah, heard yeah. from that guy again since <laughs> Osborne started editing the Evening Standard it's almost as if the only people who give a shit about the coverage of politics in the quote unquote quote, uh, must-read Evening Standard, are fucking flatulently self-satisfied, London-based, Westminster-centric bellend pricks. Like, but not to make any kind of uh, personal judgement or anything. But... <laughs> <laughs> he says, the paper's view is it's metropolitan, it's small-l liberal, it's internationalist, it's pro-business, it's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. <laughs> it's tech, it's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. <laughs> Hard left. But to be honest, I actually found that the bits that grated most on me in this long profile of Osborne weren't the quotes from Osborne himself, but the little bits where the writer's personal opinions seep into what he's writing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit like he slags off the government's approach to Brexit, and then he says, to a lesser degree, and more predictably, he has also lambasted Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party, who oppose the Conservatives with corresponding ineptitude, but growing popularity. It's like, well, we're not fat fucking inept then, are we? It's like, I just thought, mmm, this centrism tastes bitter. <laughs> There's another bit as well where he says, there is a huge space left unfilled in British politics, so yawning a chasm that there is serious talk of a new political movement similar to France's en marche to occupy the centre ground. Like, serious talk among whom? <laughs> like, when fucking Jolly and Morn, like, goes out on his fucking yacht. <laughs> like, yeah. There's a bit where they say, Osborne's standard covered the Grenfell disaster in a different way, calling on people to show unity in grief and raising funds for victims, as opposed to doing a kind of systemic analysis of where political and economic conditions 
created, I guess, the conditions for the Grenfell fire. Osborne was shaken by the tragedy. Hmm. He could see the fire <laughs> burning from his house, and later in the day, he declared himself still numb with what I saw this morning. Like, okay, he was shaken by the tragedy, and he was still numb. He didn't give a shit. <laughs> the, guy, the guy didn't... He could not have cared for The only reason rest. he's feeling a bit right. numb is because cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed anxious about politicising Grenfell. One standard staffer told me that Osborne, who was on a flight in the hours following the fire, yet, like, just fucking jet-setting around, probably going off <laughs> to uh, BlackRock, or whatever it's called, that US investment firm that he gets paid, like, fucking a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money for 50 days' work a year. Yeah. He was uh, on a flight in the hours following the fire. He sent a note to the op-ed department telling them not to go OTT in their Grenfell analyses. Uh, I wonder what that had to do with the other journalists, other, other people, <laughs> other politicians blaming the austerity programme that George Osborne <laughs> yeah. in government for <laughs> Grenfell in large part. No connection. I mean, come on. It's coincidence. No connection, yeah. no connection whatsoever. <laughs> but it's written by this, like, hilariously bitter fucking melt who obviously despises Corbyn with every fibre of his being and thinks George Osborne's, a, you know, a pretty cool guy. As do any reasonable people. He says, Theresa May had called a snap election to strengthen her own position with her party apparently more than 20 points ahead in the opinion polls, but a series of tactical and strategic errors on her part, as well as a growing realisation that she was an uninspiring figure to lead the country at a crucial time, led to a disastrous result. She failed to win an outright majority. Like, yeah, it had nothing to do with the excellent campaign that Labour ran. It had nothing to do with Jeremy <laughs> yeah. Corbyn being good in ways that Theresa May was not. No, Labour are still being colossally inept, despite their mysteriously growing popularity. No idea what that's about. I can't believe that's still a narrative that's being pushed, but hey, centrism, baby! Centrism! Oh, yeah. What is it? A-C-A-B, all centrists are bellends. <laughs> I think we should be careful, you don't want to appear in the Daily Mail again. Oh, sorry, I used the most terrible slur there. Call them bastards. Bastards. <laughs> <laughs> Any other political ramblings we have before we depart? Oh, uh, fucking hell. Have you guys got anything you want to bring to the table? I am, much like Obama, quite spent. There's a new book out, isn't there? Which looks like a thrilling read which is by Hillary Clinton. And it's called What Happened? Although, yeah. given what happened? the, the, le she the level... Total lack of understanding of political circumstances that she seems to evidence in the extracts that I've read from the book. I don't know why there isn't a question mark at the end of the title. Because uh, it seems awful. There will be American podcasts who've talked about it plenty, but it's just the most fucking shocking load of shite I've ever read. I think it's funny people are reviewing it as if she wrote it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hillary is a very concise, clear writer. It's like, well, no, some fucking team of fucking spad running everything by this huge committee like yeah. they just the, right the sheer amount of pop culture references in it <laughs> she doesn't know about like they're fucking i guess like she's seen hamilton every liberal dipshit in america has but i still don't reckon she was the one who actually put the hamilton lyrics in the book 
I'm just reading a Guardian article here. It says that Amazon has removed one-star reviews of the book. What? <laughs> Why? They've redacted, yeah. They're clearly wrong. Why? Hundreds they... <laughs> of one-star reviews of Hillary Clinton's memoir, What Happened? which appeared online within hours of the 512-page <laughs> book's publication, have been removed from Amazon. Russia! Russia. Definite Russia involvement there. Um, <laughs> I think the main takeaway point from what happened is that it's all Bernie Sanders' fault, pretty much. Oh, yeah, it, it, I think that's what she wants to convey, isn't it, really? But there's also a couple of excellent bits from it I've read where, um, number one, she says that women supported Bernie Sanders because their fathers, brothers, husbands and boyfriends did. <laughs> <laughs> and there is another bit where a woman who supported her comes up to her and said, Oh, my daughter didn't even vote. What should I tell her? And Hillary says, what I was thinking was... How dare you not vote? How could you hang your country out to dry like this? How could you abdicate your responsibilities? But of course I didn't tell her that. It's like you still thought that, didn't you, oh, you sorry, smug, mate. entitled piece of shit? But yeah, I mean, I'm not particularly proud of the fact, but this was the first election where I've been able to vote, where I didn't vote, and it was partially because Clinton was just such a awful candidate but it was also you know they make voting as hard as possible and i was in a different country it was not worth the effort to get that melt elected she just did not run a good campaign yeah and she seems to be coming out post-election basically while bernie sanders is knuckling down and trying to get this universal health care bill yeah he's passed. still very involved despite not winning and he's got this bill co-signed by like kamala harris al franken people mm -hmm. who you wouldn't necessarily think of as being on the more radical wing of the Democrat Party. And so he's there trying to get these really concrete policy initiatives out there. And Hillary Clinton is saying what he needs to do is get out there and show some support and show some solidarity. And as Jeff Stein from Vox pointed out, it's actually true. Bernie Sanders hasn't promoted Hillary Clinton's book at all in any of his recent interviews. I wonder why. Whoa. <laughs> she's true. dissing him throughout, from what I've heard. Yeah. Another plug, though. Well, two plugs. So I've got a new article out in New Socialist, which is an interview with Paul Sung, director Famous. of... Famous. Uh, no, director of... Oh, 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 I thought you said he was the director of Shameless. Of shameless. I, was, <laughs> I was like, what, he's the director of that TV show? I didn't know that. No. Um, <laughs> yes, I am being totally shameless. He's the director of Dispossession, the great social housing swindle, which is oh, a yeah. really interesting and insightful documentary about how the growing primacy of market forces has created a crisis in the housing sector so i would recommend people go and read that and give it a share on twitter and so on but i would also recommend that people listen to the next episode of the film chat podcast which i will be appearing on and also briefly tom i would have been on it for a lot longer but i was having internet connection issues sadly so i think you're probably only going to hear like a few sentences from me before jack <laughs> then, like takes over and pretends to be me for the rest of the episode yeah i do an impression of tom towards the end or i'm just whispering into the Did mic you fall asleep? <laughs> <laughs> Tom time. We've renamed sleep Tom time. <laughs> it was sleepy Tom, and now it's yeah Tom time. Speaking okay, of sleep, Tom. it's time. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs>
told you I want to do a fucking outro to this episode, then, yeah, you can't. Yeah, fucking hell. Are we going to fucking recommend Outlaw, then? Fucking the cheek of some of <laughs> these fucking critics. Fucking right, we are. Six stars, right, we are. Of five, six stars, yeah. <laughs> fucking six 90. bags of popcorn. <laughs> Taxi driver, 1976, got cunted. Got yeah. fucking cunted. One more thing I liked about it was that Danny Dyer's character was called Decker, and I've been watching an awful <laughs> lot of Tim Heidecker's multiplayer <laughs> series, Decker, recently, so that uh, cracked me a fuck up. We should talk about it on the show. We should do something on Decker. Yeah, in fact, let, let's play this episode out with his song, Our Values Are Under Attack. Because I think <laughs> that's pretty much what Outlaw is trying to say, isn't it? Yeah. Pedophiles roaming the streets, fucking, you louts setting fire to old ladies, people stabbing each other, car chases. And we'll what, leave Tom? you with the words of Nick Love as he closed off his audio commentary for Outlaw. <laughs> Good night, cunt. <laughs> Fuck off! Yeah, bye guys. Oh, and Solidarity, of <laughs> course, as always. <laughs> Fuck off! Fucking cunt. I love you to death, and this, Love you uh, to death, son. And this, this, uh, this jog on, eh? Good night, cunt. Oi. Love you to death. Well, I'm looking at the world now, and it's going insane. Thinking about checking out, can't do it again. But I know just who I am. How strong I can be And I know I'm the only one Who can help us be free yeah. na, 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 na. This country's yours and mine It's the home of the brave and free It's the place for you and me oh, na, 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 na. It's only a matter of time Till we get things back on track And the bad guys get the benefits Rest of us pay their way Patriots are under attack Just for having their say While I'm riding down Freedom Road Agents on my tail You wave a flag on Christmas Day They'll throw you in jail Hey! In the, in, in the interest of editorial fairness, Danny Dyer has threatened to beat me up because he finds my accent, my impression of him so, so hideous that he said, if I ever see him, I'm going to put something right across his canister. Which is fine. So the solution to that is I'm just never going to take a canister with me and then he won't be able to put anything across put something it. something across your canister? Yes, I don't know what it meant, but it sounded 
not entirely pleasant.